Hello, and welcome to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast, your place to laugh and learn. Everything we do is to make the lives of everyday parents easier. Without further ado, let's welcome our hostess with the mostess, Bree James. Welcome back to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast. Bree James here with you, and on today's episode, I chat to parenting expert and author Michael Gross about why firstborns rule the world and laterborns want to change it. Uh, because families have changed over the last 60 years where there was once an average of four children per family. Now nearly 60% of Australian families have two or less children. So this change has influenced how children grow up with the birth order affecting a child's personality and disposition. So he's going to explain to us how it all works and how we can use this information about what birth order you come in uh, to help us parent better and how we can help our child succeed more in life. So let's get him on Zoom. It's time to get to class. So tell me, Michael, how does a child birth order influence a person's personality and the life they lead? So birth order leaves an imprint on a child's life, which we don't often see. So it's one of those things that we can see gender, we can see race, we see a whole bunch of things about other people. We often don't see it birth order. So it does leave an imprint. It impacts on kids in their family growing up. Also that imprint is left on kids as they move into adolescence, into adulthood. And it can affect uh, the relationships. It can affect the job that they've got. It also affects the way they parent, which is quite interesting as well. So uh, it's a fascinating aspect and it's it's an aspect of life that we don't give enough credit to. Yeah, because it is interesting because like many of us, um, you know, we've got uh, split families, step families, you know, some of us have got older older siblings. I know I've got an older brother and sister that are 10 to 12 years older than me, but then I've got a younger sister and uh, but my children, you know, I've got two boys. Um, so, and it's so interesting that two parents can raise these children all under the same roof, but they can be complete polar opposites. Uh, that's the old dilemma, isn't it? And that's one of the things which, uh, which birth order answers is why are my kids so different? They've come up in the the same gender, two years apart, same gene pool, we hope. Yet fundamentally, there are many kids who like cheese and chalk and it leaves parents flummoxed in many ways. They go, why are my kids so different? What have I done wrong? And I often look at uh, parents, I've looked at my own kids as they have kids and they have that first one and they sort of pat themselves on the back and congratulate themselves and think, ah, this was easy. And suddenly the second one comes along and it tests them out completely. And it's not just the fact that the second one might be, you know, is another set of hands, but often that second one can be a little more difficult. And so birth order and, and the position you come in family, and I prefer to call, call it the family constellation, um, impacts so much on how we raise kids and also on the differences. And why I call it a family constellation is the fact that, it, that um, birth order positions, you need to understand the whole family situation before you can really sort of nail it down. So it's just like every set of stars has its own constellation. Every family has its own constellation as well. So we know that you know, sort of firstborns have certain characteristics and secondborns have certain characteristics and youngest ones have other characteristics as well. But that won't always play out exactly the same purely because there's gender, there's age differences, um, there is us as parents, the, the, you know, what we value as well. That all comes into play. So once you sort of understand the, 
the differences or sorry, the, the rules, so to speak, how it plays out, then you can sort of um, work out how it plays out in your own family. My background is as um, an Adlerian family psychologist and we look at families and we look at, look at kids through the eyes of a group. We don't look at kids individually. So, um, so the notion of Adler, and Adler was a colleague of Sigmund Freud and Freud said, you need to understand the individual. And Adler said, no, you don't. You need to understand the individual and how they operate within a group. So if you want to understand kids within a classroom, you need to look at what's happening within a classroom. So Adler actually said, to understand kids, you need to understand them within the family context. So he, in the 1930s, brought up the idea of birth order theory, and that's where it began. So, and you need to understand kids within the, within the context of their group. And of course, their first group's the family. So he looked at firstborns and, and seconds and middles and then youngest. Um, and then that's been supported by research all the way through. So there's, it's interesting that there is a bit of skepticism about the impact that birth order has on a person. And that skepticism is, is, is right. Just because you're born first doesn't mean that X and Y and Z is going to happen. It's more about the likelihoods that, that will happen, the patterns that it sets up. And it's one of the reasons, I guess, that when I wrote the first book, uh, or wrote it, wrote it the first time in 2003, I've had a big reaction that, that everyone said, yes, that's my family. That's me. My brother's exactly like that. That explains why we don't get on. And the, one of the reasons is that the fact that families are very similar and the notion of you know the whole birth order theory helps explain what happens within families and looks at the family dynamics uh, and so that's in some ways that sort of the power of the whole whole thing it doesn't tell the whole story but it, it tells a significant story yeah because your your book is called why firstborns rule the, the world and later borns want to change it why is that like why what are some of the typical traits of the firstborn the secondborn the third <laughs> and the last and and why is it that yeah, the firstborns okay. first are that way and the lastborns are the other? Look, I can see it in my, I can almost explain it for a story. And my young, my middle child has, she's just had her third child, third boy, but she has a five-year-old boy and a three-year-old boy. And two weeks ago, um, just before the birth of the third one, my wife and I went over to, we were to look after them. Um, so we went and did the, the school run and the pickup from, from preschool, the second one. So we went to the second one's uh, preschool, met the teacher, had a look around, and we went over to the, to the, to the eldest boy's school. Uh, he's in prep or the first year, met the teacher, had a look around, and we had the two boys together. And the first thing that the eldest one said to the second one was, my school's bigger than yours. And as we've walked around, and it was almost like the firstborn saying to the second one, you'll be, never be as good as me and don't you ever forget it. So <laughs> when the first one comes in, and he and, and fortunately they've got, a, both of them have a lovely temperament, so they don't fight too much, but the second one knows he's, he's second and the first one, he's the first one there. He's, he's, he may have been dethroned, but... He certainly is the eldest, he's the smartest, um, and he likes to let the second one know. So it's basically how groups operate. So I, I guess, you know, why, why do firstborns rule the world and why, why do lastborns want to change it? Well, firstborns rule the roost, and that's what happens within, within families. 
Um, so when we sort of look at the firstborn, that uh, when the eldest child's born or the first child's born, um, it's a wonderful position. It's a big event for the family. Everything sort of goes their way. Um, there's a lot of pressure. Go to the photo album and the photo album has a, has a photo of the first one doing every single damn thing. And, um, and also that firstborn takes parents into new ground. So, you know, when mum and dad brings home a, a firstborn, what they bring home is an experiment. Um, so the firstborn takes them to new ground all the way through. And uh, we tend to be stricter on the first one. Firstborns will do things um, sort of where we they tend to do things later than the eldest children because we're really quite strict on, on releasing the boundaries for them. Um, and also they live with pressure as well. So they pick to pick up our neuroses and also a lot of our anxieties also so interesting group what tend to be firstborns tend to be either a little bit bossy they tend to be more achievement oriented um also the research shows that they're the conscientious ones they're more likely to be a little bit more introverted um and they, they are what we call the family rule keepers so what do i mean by a family rule keeper or, or a family conservative probably a better term family conservative is if you're um, an academic family, there's a reasonable chance that your firstborn is going to be more the academic because it goes down the family path. And that's largely because firstborns, are, they like approval. They're approval-seeking missiles. They seek approval. They haven't got as much space between the parental expectations of uh, as much space to say the last one in the family. Um, and so they tend to be a little bit more... They like authority. They tend to be the rule keepers. Um, and I look at Prince William and his brother, um, Harry. You know, William's the heir and Harry's the spare. And uh, a lot of kids tend to see themselves who are firstborn as a little bit more the, the heirs to the, to the family, so to speak. So um, that's firstborns. Also, tend to be low risk takers. The road to, to innovation uh, is means that oh, you can make mistakes. So firstborns tend to not make mistakes. So they tend to be not life's greatest risk takers. And if you want to sort of, if you move down the family, now you can go into the second one. So I look at my, go back to my, um, my grandkids. I've got the firstborn and his name is Max and, and two years below Max is Harry. Well, we, what, what we know that Harry has some of the similar characteristics to, to Max and how that works out is you want to look at the, the what, your kids have in common or what your parenting is, start to look at what your kids have in common. So if they're all pretty independent, that shows independence is something you view. So that's what we call the family frame. Um, however, Max and Harry, as, as well as they've got some plenty of things in common, they've also got quite a few differences. And one of those differences is one's far more serious and the other one's far more hey, far more easygoing. One's really quite academic and the other one's more an outdoorsy sort of kid. One's quite loud and the other one's quite quiet and thoughtful. Is, 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 is that all about um, is, is that all about genetics? Partly, but not entirely. When I start to look at them, one of the things I realise that what keeps our firstborn and what his parents happy about the firstborn is he's is, is, is quite academic, he's quite thoughtful. Um, you know, he's the one who does all the reading and he gets lots of plaudits for that. And the second one, Matt, Harry looks at Max, his older brother, and goes, well, you do all that. Well, 
mum and dad aren't going to go ape shit over or ape over me doing all that sort of stuff. I'm going to go into a different area. And so he does. So he's going to be slightly different. Uh, and he starts to develop differences. So one of the things, if you want to actually know secondborns, you need to actually look at the firstborn and what often seconds are, it's quite different than the, than the firstborn. They tend to take up characteristics which are different, but they do have some characteristics in common. And one of them is flexibility. Um, we know that secondborns and middles tend to be more flexible um, and have a more flexible view of life than firstborns. And one of the reasons is that they've always had to fit into the life of the firstborn. Um, you know, the firstborn's the one who sets the pattern. The second one is often woken up to you know, pick up that firstborn from work, from wherever it is. So they tend to be a little bit more flexible and don't have as much of a fixed view. If they have a second, they have a third one, they tend to be more diplomatic as well. Um, that means that they've actually... They work with the first one, the eldest one, and they also sort of duck the elbows from the eldest one. And they also learn, learn to give some elbows to the youngest ones. They are often more flexible, tend to be more sociable as well. So and that's backed up by research. If I have money, I will always put money on the second one to leave the family first because they often don't have that same sense of belonging. So look, look outwards from their family um, as well. So quite an interesting group, the, the second borns. And I guess if you move down and look at the youngest ones, what have they got in common? Well, I reckon uh, youngest children should write a letter to their older sibling thank you for breaking their parents in for them because <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's, what eldest, that's what the eldest do. So when we have the youngest one who comes in the family, what we know is that they've got parents who are more experienced. They've got parents who... Share the expectation load. So with, with that first one, mums and dads have a lot of expectations. Um, it's called hopes and dreams, parental hopes and dreams. And they all go on that firstborn shoulders, poor sods. And as we have more kids, those expectations tend to be taken up. Uh, and the pressure's released a bit. I always think if you've, you know, if you've got three or four good kids, the pressure's off because you'll get one good one. Uh, and that... <laughs> That tends to happen as we move through in that third one. So ones, uh, they're a fascinating group. And I'm the youngest in my family by a long shot. Um, in fact, I have characteristics of the youngest and I also have characteristics of an only child as well because there was six years, I was the Catholic mistake in my family and there's a six-year gap between myself and my eldest sibling and, or my, the, the next sibling. So... My eldest sister was married by the time I was five. My second eldest sister was married by the time and out of the house by the time I was seven. So um, you know, I didn't see them, them too much. So A, my parents, by the time I came along, they were tired. Um, so they gave me a lot of space, which is quite typical of parents of youngest kids. And the next aspect and why I was a little bit like an owner is I, I spent most of my time growing up on my own. You know, as a five, six-year-old, I remember, you know, going on holidays with with an older brother and myself. He became a teenager and I remember, you know, sitting in a car going out to places on my own, sitting in the back seat with mum and dad there. So very much like my own space, like a lot of only kids. So that's where it does get a little bit a little bit complicated. Um, but knowing that, that's why it's consolation, knowing some of the rules, you go, ah, so he's the youngest, but he also operates a bit like an only. But youngest ones, um, they tend to use 
different skills to get by. They use low power skills. So when I look at my, my new grandson, his name's Augie, when he grows up, he'll learn that he can't outrun and he can't outsmart his elder brothers, but he can certainly outlast them. So he, he'll use persistence. He'll use charm to get his own way. He'll probably have his mum wrapped around his little finger and he'll have his older brothers actually coming in and saying, you go and ask mum if we can do this because she listens to you. Um, so they use low power skills to negotiate their way through families and elders to use higher power skills, which are as assertion, in sometimes aggression, sometimes more physical way. Um, and they're often the challenges as well. So what we know about youngest children is, is that they'll often be more successful or as successful in life as the others in their family, or often they can be more successful, but they'll do it in a way which is different than the new family way. So, you know, if it's the academic family I spoke about earlier, there's a reasonable chance the firstborn might be an academic. The youngest one might be a tradie, might do something completely different um, because approval is not as important to them. Um, what they like is attention in some ways, but it's not as, you know, pleasing mum and dad isn't as, as important to, to them as perhaps it is to the, to the firstborn. And that's why you'll often see that youngest ones tend to be a little bit more of the challenges. They often think that rules don't apply to me. The rules that apply to my siblings don't apply to me. It's often they, they'll go th through that in life as well. So, uh, and again, their, their patterns of behaviour, patterns of personalities which develop through birth order. So tell me, how does this information then help us as parents and I guess as educators even <laughs> and the society deal with this? Because it's quite a lot of information. And I guess the more you're talking, the more I'm looking at my family dynamics that I've come from, but also, you know, my own children. Uh, and it is so difficult as a parent to parent children that are so opposite, I guess. Um, so how can we use this information that you're sharing with us to yeah. help us? Okay. Yeah, and I guess the thing is, let's not complicate things too much. I've been doing this for a long time, so I, I do look at things quite closely through those eyes. And it's fascinating because my own I look at my own children now and they also, because they're so close to it, they look at their own kids through birth order, whereas their friends don't. So my first advice is don't, don't, don't complicate things. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it, it adds to the, to, it's a rich vein of information like there's other rich veins of information that you can lean on when you raise your kids. Um, and often the response that I get from parents about this is also reflective of their own birth order personality. So from my experience, um, firstborns actually often go, oh, gee, I need to do something about this because firstborns like to control things. That's that's the nature of the beast. That tends to be how, how, how it operates. So it's often, oh, what do I do about this? And sometimes often mm -hmm. youngest ones within a, who, or parents who are youngest kids will often go, oh, that's interesting, but um, we'll just roll with the punches. And my advice is tends to be roll with the punches, have a bit of an understanding that, oh, you know, he's a firstborn, he's a bit of a bossy one. Well, that's sort of why he tends to boss the, the next one. Okay. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's more that it creates context. So I think it's just an interesting notion of, you know, to create context. Whenever we raise kids, we we, we, we raise kids within a context of what's what's happening. So it just helps to create that context. And then most people that I speak to, they want a tip or two. So I was looking for some tips and perhaps it's useful from that, that regard is, well, 
my one old tip for for firstborns, if you're raising a firstborn, and I, and I learned this, but I didn't know it as a teacher. So I always spent 15 years, roughly, as a primary teacher, and um, and I, I wish I had known this information now because it, it is useful. One of the things about firstborns is is that if I if I've got one tip, it's don't put too much pressure on them because they put enough pressure on themselves. Um, you know, you haven't done your homework yet. You need to do your reading. You need to, you know, we often put so much pressure on them and they'll often put a lot of pressure on themselves. We need to re release that pressure. And we don't put the same pressure on the youngest ones and the families who do on the first ones. It just it doesn't. Um, if I'm looking at a tip for the youngest one is put some pressure on them because often <laughs> they just coast. Um, yeah. And we, we don't, you know, it's, you know, you know, achievement walls they're full of the firstborn's work when the third one comes home we say put it on the ground i'll put it up when i get a chance um so we we get tired and we, we we release that pressure but sometimes we've got to put a little bit more pressure on the firstborns on, on the youngest one so that's my one-off tip my other tip for my one-off tip if you're raising a second who's in the middle is don't let them left don't let them get left behind too much um what we do know is the first ones and youngest ones, we often will spend a little more time with them and the ones in the middle, they tend to be always with the whole gang. They always say, what's, don't get me. So one of the things you can do, and we actually had to do it in our own family, is I actually had to create one-on-one -on -one time with my middle one. Come on, come down to the shops with me. And the other thing we needed to do was, was carve out a little bit of a space for her, which is just her own space. Um, you know, the, the first one was a, was a sporty one and played basketball. So she played basketball. Um, and I remember saying, it's nothing special about me. And with, and because the, the second, third one came along and started to do some of the activities that the second one did. So we actually said to the younger one, no, you're not going to do guides because this is Emma's thing. Okay. You can do other things, but let's just Emma have her own little space. Uh, as an adult now, it's interesting talking to her about that because she really appreciated that. So there are some one-off things to which tips that we can um, use to put into place. Yeah, I think I even read something in, in your book about make sure you buy your second child something new because they always get the hand-me-downs. <laughs> yeah, it does. And it's yeah, true. Yeah. I remember wrapping presents for my when my second son turned one. It was just old toys of the, the first one. It's terrible, but, you know. You can't help it. But that's how families operate. So, I mean, and I, I think we, we don't feel guilty about that. Um, in in Now that we live in a notion of, this is getting a little bit technical, but I'm sure your listeners will, will get that. I've been involved in the education profession for 30 years, and one of the biggest shifts is that we've moved from a family orientation to an individual orientation. We raise the individual child rather than the family. For thousands of years, all we've done is raise families, and um, and you know when it's a, the, the parenting shifts once you've got four or more kids. So if you've got two or less kids. The parenting is is an, very much an individual endeavour. I'll parent you, and I'll parent you. Look at discipline. We discipline one. We discipline another. When we get to four kids, 
and don't ask me about three. There's sort of it's a it's a it's a sort of a crossover. But we know the parenting shifts when you get four or more, and the parenting is very much an individual endeavor. So you as a parent tend to be more a facilitator. You'll delegate more. The discipline is more. We'll all go home because you're messing up. We sort of the whole gang sort of sort of um, suffer so to so to speak. But we'll also see a lot of parenting will occur by siblings. So mum and dad might not hear the kids read, but you might get an older sibling who's actually hearing a younger sibling read. Um, you know, and I bet in my family, little family of three, the, uh, you know, the, the, the Max Harry and now the Augie family, we're at a five, three and a, and a two week old. I reckon in about um, not, not too long at about maybe three or four months time, there's going to be a firstborn who's actually going to be changing the nappies of a, of a baby because they want to do that. So he, he'll be doing some some parenting. So when we get bigger families, we get um, we get olders who do some of the surrogate parenting, which is great. So it lets, lets the pressure off from dad. So it's more a group notion. So that's why I think we need to not feel guilty about things. Uh, that's the way families operate. And I see some parents at the moment who will give a gift to one child and they'll give a gift to the second one so they don't feel hurt or don't feel bad about it. Whereas when, you, when you're operating from a family orientation, which is gen, generally happens when there's four kids or more, when it's the first one's birthday, no one else gets present, <laughs> you know, your turn will come. So, and that's why I think that aspect of if you've got a youngest one, in a larger family, um, or maybe the second one, it's probably better to say the, the second one in a, in a family, sometimes their expectations are lower. They expect a lot less of, 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 of life because they do get hand-me-downs, but that's one of the reasons why they tend to be more resilient as well. They're more willing to go with the flow. That's great insight. So you have updated your book. Uh, as you said, the first one was launched in 2003 and your new one's out now, the updated version, because you've noticed that, you know, obviously um, people aren't having as many children these days as they used to in the past. And like 60 years ago, you know, um, people having four or more children. Now many of us are only having two and we've lost that middle child. So how, how does this change affect how children grow up and how does it influence our society? Yeah, it's a fascinating question, and it's a question that I don't think we consider as much as we possibly can. So I think we're starting to see the impact of, of it now in, in terms of um, the increase in anxiety within schools. Um, so what we, we know statistically that 60% of families are, are two child families or, or less. So I think it's around about 40% of families tend to be two-child families, and that's as much a, an economic decision as anything else. So, um, you know, it's so what we're seeing is a smaller, smaller families, more individualised parenting. And so we know that firstborns tend to be a little bit more conscientious, a little bit more anxious than, than other kids. So what we're saying, and as I say, more lower risk takers as well. So we're seeing in schools now, more and more firstborns who are, who are part of the, um, as a percentage of the population and within schools. So I was in a prep recently where there were 23 kids within that prep class, which is the first class in Victorian schools, sorry. And 18 of them were firstborns, which is wow. quite interesting. Yeah, wow, that's right. And what 
cued me into that. I was working with the teacher and she said, gee, these, these parents are anxious. And I said, well, do a birth order audit. And we did. We had a look and, and, um, and a birth order audit is just looking at the first the birth order within, your, within a group. And so she found that there were 18 of them were firstborns. So there you, therefore, you've got 18 parents who school is new for. So therefore, from a teacher's perspective, not only has she got 18 or 23 new kids within, within her classroom, within a school, she's also got 18 parents who are new. That's a lot of, you know, when kids go to school for the first time, we're all a little bit more anxious. We're all not want to know more. And there's so, um, so that's an, that impacts. So just teaching those kids as well, it's not just the parents, but it's just teaching those kids. You know, you're going to have a little bit more anxiousness. You know, you're going to have more achievement oriented kids um, because they tend to be a little bit more. You know, they're going to be a little bit more responsible, perhaps. Um, and and so you're going to have a lot of little bosses as well. So. <laughs> as opposed to going back to a classroom situation of 30, 40 years ago where you probably would have had, you know, out of the 23, you, not 18 firstborns, you may have had um, seven or eight who were eldest in the family. You may have had, um, you know, seven or eight who are second. You might have two or three who are youngest and, and so forth. So you would have had a different mix. So I think it plays out in that way. Um, and we're starting to see it play out from a mental health perspective, but we're also starting to see it play out, I think, a little bit more in terms of the roles we play within life, the jobs which we go into as well. Um, so, yeah, there's, I think it's watched this space, but we haven't really got our head around that as, as yet. Yeah, it's also so interesting. It's going to be an interesting space because a lot of people are having only one child now too. So Yeah, yeah, and only children. Most parents of only children feel guilty um as well so and there will be more more only children and if if only children were a political party they're now part of the mainstream they're a mainstream party and i've basically given a birth order on their own they're, they're very similar to firstborns um you know that firstborns coming come into the world a lot of pressure a lot of the spotlights on them everything's mm-hmm. new for mum and dad but they've never experienced the ignominy of dethronement so um they i always look at when i look at only children i always look at why they're only children why they're only children if it's an only child by design which we're seeing more and more now um that's okay that's fine um and sometimes it's an only child by we just couldn't have another child as well so that impacts a little bit about how they they come out but um they tend to be again like firstborns achievement oriented um they often they're often what I call swingers. They'll wear two hats. They'll often be the sophisticated verbal child because they've been exposed to a lot of mum and dad's and adult concepts. And then they'll swing to being um, a little kid sometimes. So they often will, will swing and they'll throw that tantrum. So they tend to be swingers. They tend to um, struggle to be kids often. Um, and that's often the biggest struggle. A lot of boys will struggle with, with, with um, we see this in schools, a lot of boys will struggle with conflict because they haven't experienced conflict within the family. They feel uncomfortable with conflict. But the positive about only children is that they tend to be very happy in their own skins. They spend a lot of time on their own. They keep themselves occupied. Um, they've had to. And they'll often re- 
go back inside themselves, inside and and relax, spend time on their own, um, which is a wonderful gift in many ways. So, yeah, they're all very different. Now, another thing that I found interesting in your book was uh, you were talking about the need for greater mental health awareness, um, particularly around firstborns. Why is that? Largely because the, the fact that there's more of them, that firstborns, that the research just shows that firstborns are more likely to be anxious. They're more likely um, to experience, in broader terms, neuroses. Um, and sometimes that's around, again, I, I wrote a book two years ago called, called uh, Anxious Kids. And I saw that within that there's a group of, we don't understand anxiety enough, um, there's a lot of adults who are sort of going through life who are very anxious and they don't understand that because we haven't sort of built that understanding of anxiety. But um, a lot of anxious kids are high achievers. Um, a lot of anxious adults are high achievers as well. Um, and one of the, the keys, one of the understandings that you can see someone who's a high achiever is that they're, they, they're over planners. They... They have a plan A, plan B, plan C for everything. And so, um, and that's exhausting. That's tiring. Unless you put some things in place to, to manage yourself, eventually those high achievers who are quite anxious, they'll crash unless we give them the tools as kids. And I learned that in my own life at the age of, well, in 50s, uh, high achiever but also experienced anxiety and crashed because I didn't know how to manage that. And so I see a lot of high achieving adults who punch through, who will give this speech, who will do that work, who will do it, regardless of what it makes them feel, they're going to do it. Um, and they don't manage themselves well. I see a lot of kids at the moment in schools who, who, who are firstborns, high achievers, but gee, they pay a price and that price is in their mental health. So if you start to see more firstborns, um, more of these high achievers who are going to crash and bash through, unless we give them the, the, the tools and skills to A, recognise when they're not travelling so well and how can they manage their state, um, we're going to see a, a more schools saying, gee, these kids are anxious. Um, we've got some mental health problems here. So I'm not saying, you know, just because you're firstborn doesn't mean you're going to have a mental health problem, but the, the, the correlation between firstborns and mental health is higher than between other birth positions. So yeah. if you're getting more firstborns, then there's a problem there. And um, I work in schools. Um, I have that many presentations with, that, that we can give. I just knock them back about how to give present, you know, about anxious kids. I gave one last night. Um, I gave one the night before. So about anxiety in, in, in kids, particularly to do with COVID. So we talked about that, but there's also a context. Context means that you need to start looking at the, the kids in family and who are more likely to be anxious. And maybe it's your firstborn or your only child um, is, is more pre, has a predisposition or more prone to be very anxious um, particularly if they're perfectionistics, which is a firstborn characteristics. So I think that's a fairly deep answer to uh, uh, that question. But um, no, I, I agree with yeah. you completely because I think there is a lot of pressure on firstborns that people don't see, and but it's mostly coming from themselves. So 
interesting. Yeah, uh, and not every child who's born first will have the temperament of the predisposition. So um, 40% of anxiety comes from, 40% um, of anxiety is genetic. So, and it's a pre, it's, and it's called, a, like, I call it a, call it a predisposition, which means that you may have a predisposition for muscle mass, but you'll never, I'll, I'll never put on muscle until I go into the environment which we either builds it, which is a gym, or, or an environment which we requires that, which is playing sport or being a tradie or whatever it is. I work in an office, so I don't need it. Um, so a similar sort of thing with with a child maybe have a predisposition for to be more anxious than say another child in the family. But if he's living a happy environment and he's in a family which is pretty relaxed, he's in an environment which is pretty relaxed, his parents are a little bit more tuned into it, he's not, you know, he may not be as driven also to achieve, well, he might drift through life and he won't experience anxiety until something happens, such as COVID-19, whoa, that's a change, um, or you know, he, he's put into a position where he's got to do things which make him anxious. So what makes people anxious is when they have to do things that aren't built for. So if you're a, if you're a introverted firstborn um, and you've got to go into social situations which are completely new, um, then you may become anxious. That predisposition is, is clicked in. That's one of the reasons why um, our research just shows that uh, when we had lockdown in my state, Victoria, last year, that it's the introverts who do best in lockdown and it's the extroverts, the ones who like to work in groups and be amongst groups, they're the ones who struggle. Now, inversely, when we've gone back to school, it's a lot of the kids who are a little bit more introverted who struggled to go back into those social situations because that to deal with all those you know, the issues at playtime and and recess and, and dealing with kids again, which is hard yakka for those, whereas more the extroverted kids, um, those who look outwards, um, they haven't had too much trouble to fit in, um, fitting back in after COVID. So, you know, it's been interesting. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting time for being a parent, that's for sure. Um, yeah. Now, one of the other things you mentioned in your book was the Prince Harry effect. Yes. Um, one of the things we looked at was, so part of the whole notion of family shrinking is the fact that, um, so I'll say this very brief, very quickly. If you had eight kids in your family, there were three, basically three to four positions. There's an eldest, second, middle, and youngest. If you had eight kids in your family, then, then you'd have sub-families. So um, a friend of mine has seven kids within her family of origin. She was the fifth she operates like a firstborn because there was a family of four. Um, and then she was the eldest little gap and she was the eldest. And then she had two brothers below her. So she used to, she was given responsibility for bringing them up. So you look at her and go, you're a firstborn. She's organized, detailed. She likes, likes to rule the roost. Uh, she's what I call the shepherd as well. So, um, so, so you had the birth order played itself out differently within families. So you might have two or three firstborns, for example, in a family of seven or eight. But now that we've got two kids in the family, which is common, how does birth order play out? Well, we actually have a firstborns and we have laterborns. So in some ways, the second one can either be like, a, it's no longer a middle child, but is different than the firstborn. 
So we know he's different, but we're starting to see them have characteristics of the youngest one. So a second child, particularly if they're the same gender, is going to be a second slash youngest. Therefore, the poster child is, is Prince Harry. And yeah. if you look at William and Harry, Prince William and Prince Harry, William is the, as I said earlier, is the heir and Harry's the, the spare. So William is the family conservative. He's born to rule. He's been trained to rule. He's, he's doing everything exactly as the royal family wants him to do. And he seems fitted for that role. Good on him. He'll do a great job. Old Harry sits there and looks at that and going, oh, you know, what about me? I'm different. So he's very much like that youngest one. And the youngest ones will challenge convention. And boy, hasn't he challenged convention? I'm not going to play this game. I'm actually going over to the United States with my wife. In fact, I'm going to marry someone who's not at all like the typical, fits in with the typical royal family. So, you know, the, the Prince Harry effect is basically is the embodiment of that second born child who's not just a second, but also is now taking up the baby of the family role. So, which is a new position. And we, I see that play out so often and not in every family, but so often in first in families with two kids, particularly when you've got two kids of the same gender, whether it's two boys or two girls. Sometimes in a family of two, where you've got a girl and a boy, um, it plays out in this way. It will play out often the if you've got a a firstborn girl and a and a and a firstborn and a secondborn boy. Sometimes they'll both be like firstborns because. Mum and dad have got their, you know, a firstborn of each gender. You know, Josh's right. Um, sometimes it will play out, particularly if the boy's born second, the boy will be like a baby because he's got three, two mums. Um, and sometimes if the boy is born first and a girl second, they'll do a leapfrog because girls um, or of the maturity gap, sometimes girls will, will outdo uh, the boy in things which parents um values such as schooling reading academia etc so sometimes uh the, they'll do will do what's called a leapfrog and that's quite common as well so again it's all about the constellation how things play out but the prince harry effect is a fascinating one i see that that play out in many families now yeah it gave me some, it gave me a bit of an aha moment that part in the book because my sons are very similar <laughs> yeah yeah so um, That's good. Okay. it is good. <laughs> um, last question about birth order again. Can it influence your potential earning capacity and your career? Um, you mentioned that as well, so we might as well cover it. Yeah, I, I, I have, and it's, and it's not the key influence, but it's an influence. And again, so I'd just like to throw up the fact that birth order is a lens upon which we, we view people and we view the world. If we start to look at success and career, and money through the eyes of birth order, you'll go, you'll start to say, ah, that makes a bit of sense. Ah, that makes that makes sense. So we know that some careers are more are filled with more birth order positions than others. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is the, the nature of the personality that the career attracts. And the second is the status of the career. So if we look at law, for example. And I've did a, I used to do a lot of work in law firms and parenting work in law firms, law, law T1 law, law firms, get the word right, um, when I was um, starting out in parenting. And it was astonishing how many 
firstborns were in law, didn't matter whether they were male or female, a lot of firstborns. So, and it makes, because it's a high status position, um, parents who, who are professional backgrounds, they love their kids to have high status positions. So it makes sense. Also, the nature of law is that detailed analytical type work tends to attract that sort of person. We know that the um, that journalism attracts firstborns. It's not as high status, but the nature of the work is more detailed. It's more introverted work, which attracts that, that group of people. So there's certain professions where the nature of it attracts those, those personalities and it's also a status uh, attached to it. Um, fascinatingly, we know that entrepreneurial, true entrepreneurial, I'll have a dip at this type people, tend to be youngest ones, tend to be, tend, tend not to be first ones, tend to be youngest ones. So it does impact in those, in those ways. So again, um, it's a fascinating one. So start looking around at the people you're working with and go, oh, where do you come in the family? And, and even it's, it's interesting, you know, as, as an aside here, um, what, one of the, and teaching is another group. Teaching has full of firstborns and particularly um, a, a lot of firstborn women as well attracted to it. So uh, as a side here, I, I had someone, I have, I have a small team, I um, employ a small team and I had someone who applied for a, um, a PR a, and an admin role and she wouldn't let me, uh, when, when she got the role, she was really relieved and she said, I thought you were going to find, ask my birth order and I didn't want you to find out that I was a middle child, um, that I was, yeah, that I was a middle child because I didn't think you'd be suited for the role. Um, and I thought, no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't quite work that way, but, yeah, you know, so, but uh, I, I find it interesting. I reckon a lot of people who are sitting at the, in, um, at the front desks in a lot of organisations, I bet they're more likely to be, to be to be youngest kids or middle middle kids. You won't find many firstborns who sit in those particular desks. Um, you know, I, you know, look at the. I've got two people working for me now, and I've got someone who's an admin who's fantastic on the phones, fantastic with people. She's a middle child, and I've got a very detailed, fine detailed, um, very conscientious person who does my marketing and digital services and looks after that. She thinks very strategically and she's a firstborn as well. So that, that, that fits the pattern. Now I didn't choose her for that, but just happens to be that way. So yeah, it does impact. Any parting words for us, Michael, for, you know. Yeah, look, my, my parting people. words is, is if you're a parent, um, don't get, don't Use it as a lens upon which you look at kids. It might create some context. It might explain the fact that why your first and seconds argue and fight with each other. Um, it's it's just the way of things that um, kids are niche marketers. They go for their niche. Um, so understand that. And just secondly is to, is I like people to, um, to take a little bit more notice of each other and kids through the eyes of birth order. And just to just to take that into account, for example, if you're a, a you know a teacher who may be listening to this, go and have a look at the birth order of all the kids you've got, and maybe maybe when you put kids into classes the next year, you take into account the fact that um, birth order. So you might find that you need to maybe if you've got a youngest one, you you should you, you should maybe for a year make sure that that youngest one goes into a group where. Um, amongst other firstborns so 
you know, it can impact on that. It may impact on, on their behavior as well. So just take notice of that. So that's probably the one thing I love people to do is just to, just to look at life and look at each other a little bit more through that lens of where you came in the family and where they come in the family as well. Oh, very, very interesting. If you'd like to read more, definitely pick up a copy of the book, Why Firstborns Rule the World and Laterborns Want to Change It. It's a fantastic read. You'll have a few little giggles. It's uh, definitely worth picking up. All great bookshops. And we'll, um, we'll also put it in the link in the show notes as well. Michael, thank you so much for all your incredible insights today. That's a pleasure, Brie. It's fun. You ask some hard questions as well, which is good. Always, yeah. always good to have a chance to ask good questions. Yeah, oh, look, it was really great to learn more about it. And um, you've certainly helped me with parenting my two boys. So thanks so much. No worries. That's fine. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you want to be an expert guest or you've got a weird, wacky or wonderful product to share, don't be shy. Get in contact with our team at info at patmag.com.au. This podcast is proudly produced by PacMag. You can listen to more episodes on our website, pacmag.com.au.